0: This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. In Minnesota, we've got Bob Dylan, we've got Prince. but Perhaps the most beloved character in the history of Minnesota is Bullwinkle Jay Moose of frostbite falls. Unfortunately, we haven't been seeing a lot of bullwinkles out there, although things are taking a turn for the better. We'll find out the details on the latest moose population survey in just a bit. But first, Bemidji State University, right here in the heart of the lakes and forests of the Northwoods, is the only place in Minnesota where you can earn a four-year degree in aquatic biology. This state-of-the-art program takes full advantage of Bemidji's beautiful outdoor setting and offers high-tech lakeside facilities along with a ton of opportunities for research and hands-on education. You can choose an emphasis in fisheries, aquatic systems, or wetlands ecology. If aquatic biology education is what you're looking for, Minnesota's premier Northwoods University is the right fit for you. Visit BemidjiState.edu. We are checking in with Glenn Del Judice. He is the Moose and Deer Scientist uh, with uh, the what division of the DNR was it uh, again, Glenn? Forest Wildlife Populations and Research Group. That is a uh, that's that's a mouthful, but a very important uh, part of, uh, of of wildlife management. Certainly, you've been there since 1990. That's a that's a long run.
1: Yeah, yeah, almost uh, 32 years almost.
0: So let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, what we are, are here to talk about, and that is a recently, um, completed moose population survey. What overall were your findings? So the
1: findings this year, we, last year was the first year we didn't do the annual winter survey of moose because of the pandemic, uh, for safety uh, concerns and considerations for our various teams. Um, and so, I think there's particular interest in this year's findings because we did uh, skip uh, doing the survey last year. And, you know, the, the findings this year were, were lead us to be quite optimistic uh, about, or at least cautiously optimistic about the moose population. It's still at a low level. Um, statistically speaking, it's still in that stable trend. For the last 11 years now, it's varied between 3,000 and 4,000 or so moose. But this year we had an estimate of 4,700 moose, and that's the highest it's been, excuse me, since 2011, which was midway through that precipitous decline of the population between 2009 and 2012. The other interesting uh, uh, piece of data from this survey is that um, the calf-cow ratio, number of calves per 100 cows uh, indicates that our the calf segment of our population is up, that we have better survival of calves going into the winter. Um, We had a calf-cow ratio of 0.45. That's the highest it's been since 2005 at the population peak. So that's really good news. Also, the calves comprise 19 percent of the population compared to adult males and adult females. That also is the highest it's been since 2005 so you know these three pieces of of data the calf cow ratio the percent calves and the actual estimated abundance of all moose in the population are reasons to be uh, to feel encouraged um, so that although the population remains stable it's showing a slight apparent increase especially this year uh now in 2020 the last time we did the survey The population was over 60 percent lower than at its peak in 2006. Now it's only about 47 percent lower than the peak in 2006. So again, we we are feeling encouraged.
0: That is good news. Um, Can you give us some background as to any theories as to why we had the big decline?
1: Um, Yeah, we have, uh, from our, our ground research, we have very good uh, understanding of what caused that decline. And uh, we had done a an adult survival and cause-specific mortality study from about 2012, 2013 through 2017. And we also did our moose reproduction and calf survival cause-specific mortality study during that same interval. And what those showed is that although we have a good pregnancy rate in this moose population of about 83% per year, which is really quite robust compared to moose populations across the continent. That's quite good. Um, but the survival of moose calves from birth to one year of age, what we call recruitment, that's when we consider them recruited into the population, and their survival rate increases dramatically at one-year-old. Um, that was low, and 67% of the mortality experienced by the newborn calves was due to wolf predation, and 17 percent of the mortality uh, of calves was by black bear predation. Um, And most of that um, mortality also occurred within 50 days of birth, when the moose calves are still quite small and uh, not very mobile, quite vulnerable to predation. Um, After that, their survival rate starts to increase. Bears only get the the moose calves up to about seven weeks old and then bears aren't fast enough to catch the moose as, as moose calves as they get bigger. Now the survival studies of the adult moose showed that two-thirds of the mortality rate of the mortality rather was attributable to health-related issues like primarily brainworm or P tenuous that parasite was a primary cause of mortality and winter ticks intermittently in different years has been a significant cause of mortality. Um, and then we have other health-related issues like liver flukes and secondary infections and other health-related issues. With the adults, the wolf predation accounted for about a third of the mortality. Um, and, you know, this is much more complex than most people think. Um, it's not, you can't strictly divide it up into health-related issues, wolf predation, etc., because There are often complex interactions between the health-related issues that affect moose and wolf predation. So, you know, we we look at it in, in great detail to try to tease out how those different mortality forces are interacting with one another.
0: One of the things I've heard over the years and I you know it's not official studies or anything but I've always heard them talk about uh, climate change is that a factor in the moose populations or where the moose are now:
1: yeah we have we do have evidence that indicates there is a possible role for climate change in the decline although we don't have cause and effect um, evidence or data at this point but when we look at the habitat use studies of the adults from the adult uh, study of survival, um, when we look at their uh, data, we, they had hourly and four-hourly um, data uh, of adult moose using different habitat types. And when they compared that to Ontario, what they found is that during the summer, as each day warmed up, moose would have to go from foraging behavior out in the open and browse in the uh, forage openings, and they would have to move into dense conifer stands to help them thermoregulate and thus cutting back on their foraging time. Uh, Up in Ontario, where they manage their forest in a more mixed forest stand way so that hardwoods are mixed in with the dense conifer stands, um, moose were able to forage longer throughout the day without having to give some of that up so that they could get into dense cover and help themselves thermoregulate. So that's some evidence that climate change could be playing a role in this the link that was missing there is does that change difference in behavior of moose here in minnesota compared to ontario does that affect their nutritional status does it affect their fertility and does it affect their mortality rate or their survival rate and that part we don't know yet for sure there are ongoing data analyses um, being conducted that might help us answer that a little more closely so the climate change, both in the northwest, before that population really declined, and here in the northeast, um, certainly could be a factor, but we need more conclusive
0: evidence. DNR wildlife scientist Glenn geodes is my guest. We are talking about the latest moose population survey, and we have a lot more moose talk to come on the podcast in just a moment. Hey, don't forget, if you love the outdoors and you're looking for ways to align your education with future employment in the trades, Northwest Technical College, right here in Bemidji, it's the place for you. State-of-the-art tech ed, six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, manufacturing technology, along with afternoons and evenings on the lake, fishing or in the woods hunting. It doesn't get any better than that. 400 lakes, acres and acres of forests, and a darn good school, too. The shortest path to your dream job begins at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. Hi,
1: this is Dick Beardsley,
0: Bemidji Area Fishing Guide.
1: I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, musky, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfast. Visit Bemidji one step further.
0: It's the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoor Podcast. I'm Kev Jackson. My guest today is Glenn Del Giadis, a DNR scientist who recently completed the DNR's latest moose population survey. Where are the bulk of the moose? Is it in the northeast now?
1: Yeah, the bulk of the moose are in the northeast now. We had about 4,000 moose, 4,000 plus in the mid-1980s in the northwest, western part of the Minnesota, and by 2007, they had decreased to less than 100 moose. And that mm-hmm. raised a lot of red flags, um, not only to study that population more, and they started a big study in 1995, but also... To start research, more research on the ground in northeastern Minnesota where that hadn't occurred yet. And so we did do that. The DNR had a study going on between 2002 and 2008 with more conventional radio telemetry at that time. Um, and then following that, uh, we had the precipitous decline of the northeastern moose from 2009 to 2012. And right in there is when we, that triggered um, the uh, response of doing much more detailed research with better technology that was then available finally uh, with better GPS collars where we could investigate not only survival rates and reproduction, but we could investigate um, causes of mortality much more closely, both for calves and for adults. And indeed, we were the first research group in the world to fit GPS collars to newborn moose so that we could track those newborn moose along with their gps collared mothers day to day on an hourly basis and that was really helpful to all all that we learned from those studies
0: is there anything we can do to try to increase moose populations
1: well the the big message that i'm trying to share with everybody um following this moose survey and this with these encouraging findings but again cautiously optimistic. We have to be careful. These moose surveys and the data that they generate um, tell us what is right now and they tell us what has been in the years that we're other years that we're doing a survey leading up to this year. Uh, But these surveys do not predict what the future will be for this population. However, the data that they generate uh, over the years and the and the research data from the ground research that we have done does help us project with models out into the future what will happen to the population if we manage it in this way or that way, or if this if this cause of mortality increases a certain amount or decreases a certain amount. If we can increase the survival of calves to a certain level, how will that affect population performance and growth 10, 20, 30 years into the future? So we do have the tools now, really nice models to incorporate our field data into that can help us evaluate the kinds of management practices and strategies that we're applying to the moose population and their habitat. And I think that'll be really helpful. But the other really big message is that, you know, we have three big megafauna uh, species up in northern Minnesota that share the habitat, that share the landscape and the range. And that's white-tailed deer, moose, and wolves. And we cannot focus on one species. We can't make one species a priority over the other two. You know, it has to be a balanced management approach with those three, all three of those species in mind, all of their biological and habitat requirements in mind, and their very complex interactions in mind. And we know a lot about those complex relationships between deer and moose, for example, related to parasite infestation, brainworm infestation of moose, which is fatal to moose but not to deer, as well as the effect of wolf predation on white-tailed deer, their primary prey in most of northern Minnesota, and on moose um, and moose calves, very importantly. So we know a lot about that, and what we have to continue to try to do is understand those relationships better and better and incorporate what we are learning and what we know into um into our new management or improved management strategies going forward. And and that's the plan. That's what we're doing.
0: So looking back historically long before you and I were here, um, where were moose in Minnesota? Moose moose
1: in Minnesota historically, um pre European settlement, pre mid eighteen hundreds, uh resided across most of northern Minnesota, except the very northeastern tip where there were more caribou than moose in that area. But you know, the decline in moose is not a recent phenomenon. It's been happening since European settlement. And so it went from moose ranging throughout northern Minnesota, most of northern Minnesota to having a more discrete range in northwestern Minnesota and northeastern Minnesota. And then now, of course, since the mid-1980s to 2007, we lost a lot of the moose in northwestern Minnesota, and our stronghold is northeastern Minnesota. And... So the loss, the decline in moose and moose range in Minnesota is not new, but what has really been new and got our attention is the rapidity of how fast they're declining uh, in northern Minnesota, first in northwest, now in northeastern Minnesota. But again, for the last 11 years, they've been stable, and this this survey this year suggests that there may be an, a very subtle apparent increase going on. With the the northeastern population. So that, you know, that provides information and data for us to be cautiously optimistic as we go forward and try to improve uh, all of our management practices related to the population and their habitat.
0: Well, certainly uh, they are lonely, but you every now and then hear anecdotally of a moose here and a moose there uh, in in this area and west. I mean, we had the famous swimming moose uh, in Lake Bemidji several (laughs) years ago. Uh, right. So, so they, they show up every now and then. They, they do. And, you know,
1: often they're healthy moose when they're exploring out of their normal range. But often, sometimes they're sick moose. Sometimes they're uh, brainworm infected moose that have become very disoriented and wander out of their normal range. So you have to be careful. Um, a moose, seeing the occasional straggler uh, wandering through a new area... Um, Is not necessarily mean that, oh, moose are coming back and, and, you know, our population is getting so high that they're starting to expand their range and all that. Um, We have to be very careful with haphazard, what we call uh, haphazard or casual observation of individual moose here and there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We like to see it, especially if they're healthy moose, but we do have to be somewhat cautious and careful about how we interpret that.
0: Glenn, how did you get involved in this kind of work? Oh, boy.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, when, when I was young, I was always very interested in biology. I grew up on the East Coast. I was very interested in biology. And my parents, every summer, would get us up to upstate New York into the mountains or New England. And, you know, we'd, we'd stay in cabins or camp, do things like that. And when I got to the college level at Cornell University, uh, the natural marriage— of my primary academic interest in biology and my interest in the outdoors and natural resources was wildlife biology. And, you know, it was it's all history from there. I mean, I, I've enjoyed incredibly uh, doing research on large mammals ever since. And have been very fortunate to study mammals across the United States.
0: It's a fascinating topic and obviously one we want to see continue to grow. Uh, we'd love to see them much more frequently up here in Northwest Minnesota. Except maybe on the roads, but other than that, uh, we definitely want to see that happen. Yep. All right. Well, Glenn, any other thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I, I think, you know, leaving the message of balanced management of deer,
1: wolves, and moose, I think is probably the most important, you know, final closing message uh, that I could leave.
0: All right, he is Glenn Del Judice, moose deer scientist with the DNR. Great conversation today. Glenn, thanks for taking time out of uh, your schedule to share that information with us.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. Nice to be with you.
0: You've been listening to the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Northwest Technical College and Bemidji State University. You can catch the radio show Saturdays on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5 in Bemidji. B-93.3 in Brainerd, and KICK-FM in Alexandria. And of course, multiple times a week, we'll have great stuff for you right here on the podcast. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast has also been sponsored by Visit Bemidji.